0: Mark Lawrence and Joe McGranahan.
1: Greetings. Welcome on board. WKOK's live telephone talk show on the mark. I'm Mark Lawrence. Mr. Joe is directly across from me. If it weren't for a a whim of history, he would be a history professor. So our first guest is of particular interest to, or a history teacher, right? Probably
2: in a school district. Well, I know. Might have gone on for a PhD, piled higher and deeper. Who knows? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Actually, in my view. It is, but I am piled higher and deeper, right? (laughs) So,
1: all right, Joe. McGranahan is here, but a uh, super broadcaster, real history uh, fanatic, and a voracious reader, and he's uh, read a book that we're going to be talking about very shortly, and uh, he's uh, read up on the man who's on the news line. Rob Senter's our fabulous producer. I'm Mark Lawrence on the mark sponsored by the Sunbury Motor Company. You can check them out at sunburymotors.com. Our guest on the news line now, Jeff McCausland, a CBS News military analyst. This is why we get to talk to him from time to time, but he is a retired U.S. Army and educator at Dickinson College, and he's a consultant, involved in private consulting work to make sure that uh, security and uh, uh, global security is brought up and talked about for businesses, but co-author of a book that's out, Battle-Tested Gettysburg Leadership Lessons for the 21st Century. Yes, even I've listened to it, so I got a chance to Well, I'm reading it. I think
2: you get more out of it reading it than you do hearing it, but I'm glad you're listening to it. I realize your attention span leaves something to be desired. Jeff, what should people <laughs> do? Should do they read your book or listen
1: to it?
3: Well, they ought to do both, obviously, that's <laughs> what they ought to do, but uh, nice. without question, uh, I myself personally defer to uh, reading books. Uh, I'm one of those guys that reads with a pencil and makes notations in the margins, because I'll come back and reference them later. So these days, obviously, the ability to listen to books is, uh, is very handy. Uh, A lot of times on long trips, what I've done is listen to books while I'm making long trips across the country, and so that's another way of going about it.
2: Well, I think your book is amazing, Jeff. I'm, I'm not quite done with it yet. Um, I've still got got a little hold up, But, man, what an interesting perspective you bring to this entire topic of equating uh, the Battle of Gettysburg and today's leadership lessons. It's an incredible idea, and you execute it flawlessly. I'm, I'm just astounded by the things I've learned. I thought I knew the Battle of Gettysburg fairly well, but I've read a lot of things in there about motivation and how uh, trying to get people—I'm mean, at the point now where I'm reading General Lee is trying to get uh, Longstreet to buy into his attack on the first day, or the second day, rather. Uh, it, it's an amazing way you blended this all together. What, what led you to, what, what inspired you to write it this way?
3: Well, back in the day, my co-author and I, Colonel Tom Bossler, we were both members of the faculty of the United States Army War College. I actually was the dean of academics, and Tom was the director of the Military History Institute, which is the Army's archive located in Carlisle. In any event, we uh, would always take the students from the War College each year down to Gettysburg for what the military would call a classic military staff ride. And frankly, in some ways, the establishment of the park was in part to provide military officers location to do that. And this is where military guys will go down, they'll assess strategy and tactics and use the classroom of a former battlefield for their own learning. Having done that multiple times, Tom and I decided that, in many ways, this was a case study on leadership. And, you know, if the three of us, pretty educated guys, I've, I've got to pile higher and deeper degree, um, went to a corporation or any organization, and we spent a good deal of time with them, the three of us could probably then talk about how well or how poorly that organization was run if we had free access. But if he showed up on a day when the place was in a crisis, well, then how well or how poorly would stick out in bold relief? because crises for any organization, corporation, not-for-profit, or an army compresses time and leaders have to make decisions with uh, sometimes uh, huge consequence. And so that's what we thought was to use this battle as a classroom, as a case study, for those leadership concepts and principles that Tom and I both believe are enduring. Doesn't matter if you were leading back in ancient Rome or during the Industrial Revolution, the Civil War, or leading a corporation in Pennsylvania today, those lessons and principles are immutable.
2: Well, the day, of course, this is the anniversary of the Battle of Gettysburg. And the, the, really, it's amazing how everybody kind of stumbled into this. Why don't you give us some background on that?
3: Well, the battle begins, of course, actually, you could say in May of 1863, and that is a strategic planning conference. And all corporations frequently have strategic planning conferences on what are we going to do as our environment changes. Confederacy will hold that in Richmond, and the senior military and political leaders will be assembled. This is in the aftermath of their success at the Battle of Chancellorsville. And they're trying to decide what are, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And they come up with three options. One is to take part of the Army of Northern Virginia and go down to Mississippi and try to relieve the siege of Vicksburg, which is being sieged by Ulysses S. Grant, and is the last stronghold the Confederates hold on the Mississippi. The second option is to move part of the army central Tennessee, reinforce an army commanded by Braxton Bragg, and have him advance into Indiana, perhaps Ohio, maybe threaten Cincinnati. Why? Because the opposition to the war in the North was very strong in the central part of the United States, and the Confederates knew in 1864 there would be a presidential election. they could get somebody elected that might want to negotiate, they could bring this war to a successful conclusion and gain their independence. Third option, advocated by Robert E. Lee, was to advance north into Pennsylvania, fight a decisive battle against the Federals at a place of his choosing, defeat them, threaten a the major city, uh, capture some perhaps, and also tip the political scales for that upcoming election in the favor of the Confederacy. So initially, at least, their strategic objective was Harrisburg, a major, a major state capital in the north and also a major supply line because of the railroads to move supplies from the east part of the United States where we had manufacturing out to support the the uh, Union armies uh, in the west. And as a consequence, Robert E. Lee will begin his campaign in late June heading towards Gettysburg, and they'll receive word, though, that uh, George Gordon Meade, who has been recently placed in command of the Army of the Potomac, it's closer to him than he imagined. Meade across the Potomac. And that's when Lee will send out an order to have his three corps consolidate. And they pick Gettysburg, because if you take out a map, you'll see about nine or ten roads pass through Gettysburg like spokes of a wheel. And so that's the location to consolidate the Confederate Army to ensure they're not defeated in detail as the federal army is approaching.
2: But that wasn't necessarily where he wanted to fight. Uh, They talked a lot about good ground, and it was good ground for the Union. And a general named John Buford kind of pushed the whole thing and and decided that the battle would be fought there. Tell us about him.
3: Yeah, without question, John Buford is the guy that really decides the battle will be fought at Gettysburg. He'll arrive on the afternoon of the 30th of June. He is a cavalry commander commanding two brigades, and he is the cavalry commander for a Pennsylvanian by the name of John Reynolds and Reynolds is in command of the entire left wing of the Union army as it advances north. So when he arrives in Gettysburg on the 30th of June, he makes two quick assessments. First is, based on his scouts and other intel, he determines there's a large Confederate force just west of the city and down in Cashtown, likely advancing on Gettysburg the next day, and that'll be the Corps commanded by Ambrose Powell Hill. He'll also receive reports there may be more Confederates north of Gettysburg, up around Carlisle, advancing south at a later time, and that's the Corps commanded by Richard Ewell. So he will also then do an assessment of terrain, and he'll determine the key terrain in the area are Cemetery Hill, Culp's Hill, Cemetery Ridge, and the Round Tops, which are just slightly east and south of the town center. So he'll move his cavalry actually west of the town, occupy a place called McPherson's Ridge, thinking that his force is too small to stop the Confederates, but he may be able to slow them down, trade space for time, and preserve control of that key terrain on Cemetery Ridge when the main body of the Union infantry arrives later in the day.
2: A lot of people think that the, and I think history teaches commonly that the pickets charge was the real defeat. But I can't help but agree with you that the famous discretionary order that Lee issued to uh, to uh, Ewell, uh, take that hill if practicable at uh, late in the afternoon, was probably a big mistake. I like the way you frame that. That he was uh, thinking about his other commanders who would have done what he wanted to what he wanted them to do without him giving great detail. And this is this one issue is where. I think your book really weaves back and forth between the military decisions and decisions that lead to management today uh, really hits home.
3: That's very kind of, you. yeah, I am totally convinced of this. I mean that, you know, leaders do two things every day, no matter what organization they run. They perform whatever the mission for that organization is today, and they develop leaders and plans for their organization to flourish in the future. That's what they should do. Well, Richard Ewell had been placed in command only a couple of weeks prior to the Gettysburg campaign, returning from being badly wounded and having lost a leg. And he was put in command of the Corps that had previously been commanded by Stonewall Jackson, a very aggressive Confederate commander who had been killed by his own men in a friendly fire shooting at Chancellorsville a few weeks past. So as Lee arrives, of course, in the afternoon of day one, Confederates have been successful, and they have driven the Yankees through the town of Gettysburg, and the Yankees now have occupied that key terrain I mentioned a moment ago on Culp's Hill, Cemetery Hill, and Cemetery Ridge, and Lee will issue that faithful order, which is called the discretionary order, to Ewell in writing, in which it says, take that hill to your front if you deem it practical to do so. Um, Giving him an out. (laughs) Lee had a very Decentralized command style, and all leaders operate on a style of leadership that's from absolute total control on the one extreme to absolute laissez faire total empowerment on the other. And we all operate somewhere between those two extremes. And operating with a very slight hand, with a lot of broad guidance, had worked for Lee, but he'd had really good commanders reporting to him. Stewart, who's absent, by the way, at this time, uh, Longstreet. Uh, and uh, Jackson. But, of course, Jackson's not there, and he gives this order to a guy who's recently now in corps command, an entirely new com- degree of complexity that Ewell was confronting as a corps commander, and, li- and Ewell hesitates for a host of reasons. And in many ways, I think, as you suggest, Lee was still stuck in the style he'd been used to. He was really giving that order to, order to Jackson in many ways, because Jackson, everyone I know is totally convinced, would have attacked, would have taken uh, Cemetery Hill, Culp's Hill, and Battle of Gettysburg would have been a single day and a Confederate victory, and then you can spin history in any direction you like.
2: Lee had so many things go wrong there. Stewart out roaming around the country, not there for a couple of days, leaving the uh, Confederate Army blind, basically. Um, and then his own intransigence in insisting on, on first of all, the second day attack that Longstreet didn't want to make. Uh, and you point out in the book that Longstreet drug his feet or maybe slow walked his decision and spent a lot of time trying to get his men into position and uh, defended his, his action with Lee by saying he didn't want to go into battle with one. Shoe off. Uh, how much do you think Longstreet cost the Confederacy?
3: Well, it's difficult to say. There's no good doubt about it. Lee gives the order to Longstreet to conduct this envelopment on the southern end of the line. This is the fighting around the wheat field, the peach orchard, Devil's Den, and Little Roundtop. Now that order is issued about eight o'clock in the morning, and then Lee will ride over on the northern end of the line to talk to Richard Ewell has now become a bit more direct on this second day in his guidance that he's going to provide Yule. Uh, Longstreet, as you rightly point out, uh, doesn't move. He's waiting for the rest of his troops to arrive. Lee comes back about noon, sees that Longstreet hasn't moved, and Lee becomes, by most accounts, pretty angry, or at least as angry as a guy who is thought of as a southern gentleman would get in public. He basically orders him direct to get moving. They start moving, but discover the route they've taken will expose them the Union observation, but so they actually do a reverse march, march all the way back to the start, march farther to the west, and then take another route to get into position for that attack. So the attack that Lee envisioned happening by around noon doesn't happen until five o'clock in the afternoon or so. By that time, a lot more Union forces have arrived. The Union line has extended down Cemetery Ridge, and of course that's when the famous 20th Maine will have arrived as part of a brigade commanded by a Pennsylvanian by the name of Strong Vincent on Little Round Top. But if you can peel off 30 minutes anywhere in that time period from 8 o'clock in the morning until 5 o'clock in the afternoon and accelerate Longstreet's attack earlier, well, he'll arrive on Little Round Top. Strong Vincent, Joshua Chamberlain won't be there, and that attack on the second day will be successful and we'll have a two-day battle and a Confederate victory.
2: It's amazing the way you weave other details into this story. For example, uh, the 1936 victory of the University of Washington rowing team at the Berlin right. Olympics. And the fact that the team, uh, that they were built not on individual rowers, but on putting the team together. And you stress that a lot here in this book. And, the, and that's one of the lessons that we can take for today uh, from the book. Go into that a little bit, would you? Well, absolutely.
3: 1936 a U.S. Olympic rowing team, which is described very well in a great book called The Boys in the Boat. Uh, and the coach in that team talks about, you know, it's not the best or it's not the strongest bunch of rowers that makes the best rowing team. It's the team that is in the great, greatest synchronization. And If you think about athletics, uh, the the one athletic uh, endeavor that demands the greatest synchronization is rowing. And he talks about, you know, making sure people are in the right seat makes a big difference on how well synchronized It can make an exponential difference in their performance these young guys had been in the rowing team in Washington largely because of the fact that it gave them free free food and tuition to go to Washington during the depression they've been very successful won the NCAA title and rowing is by the way a very popular spectator sport in the 30s and go off to represent the United States in 36 games in Berlin but it emphasized that point of synchronization. Does everybody in the organization, from the lowliest person, the newest employee we've hired, do they understand what the vision and mission of the entire organization is, what their role is, and can they understand how they can draw a dot, a dotted line from what they're doing to that organization's ultimate vision, mission, and values? And what I like to say is, <clears throat> If your organization can do that, if people in your organization can do that, um, I, I can't guarantee you're going to be successful, but I believe you put yourself in a position to be as successful uh, as you can possibly make it.
1: First of all, let me ask you the most basic question I will today. How much time do you have? Can we keep you on the line another five or ten minutes? I know you have obligations with CBS to talk to other affiliates.
3: I can do about five more minutes, and then unfortunately, i, I got to go, in fact, I'm arriving in, in Gettysburg for uh, to uh, take some folks out on the battlefield.
1: All right, very well. Okay, we'll take the five minutes. What are some examples of successes and failures today that you can say uh, reflect the kind of leadership and or lack of it or uh, decision-making at Gettysburg, successes and failures of today's entities or leaders?
3: Well, one you might think about, you know, which is a very famous disaster about 10 years ago or more was, of course, Enron. Uh, Enron collapses. Uh, At the time, it was the seventh largest corporation in America. It was rated by many leading magazines, business magazine as the most well-run organization, corporation in America. The two things were were going on in Enron which were wrong uh, and are illustrative of, I think, poor leadership at the time. The first is we argue in our book that ethics, integrity, and character are fundamental to good leadership because it's fundamental to trust, and people won't trust you if they determine you're really not a person of ethics, character, or integrity. Do you care more about the organization? Do you care more about the employees? Or do you care more about yourself? And, you know, surveys show that people take a job because of the organization, and they quit the job largely because of the person they're working for. That usually is why they depart. And the second thing in the Enron story I think illustrates very well is what we call leading the boss. And the boss creating a climate whereby he or she can be led. We all know it doesn't do any good for somebody to come up to you and say, Hey, boss, hey, Captain, we're six inches from an iceberg. That's interesting. This doesn't happen to be terribly useful. Uh, six miles from the iceberg, that's interesting and useful. Well, that's the issue as well with Enron. And we know Ken Lay, the CEO of the corporation, uh, was receiving emails from one of his vice presidents in which he was writing. Frantically, on a regular basis, we are going to collapse in a wave of accounting scandals. It's unclear, because of course Lay would die before <clears throat> before he was taken to trial, whether or not he received those, or whether he had just gotten himself in a bubble, whereby only good news got to him. And leaders, again, of any organization, I think can do that. They can do that very consciously and make sure only good news arrives. They can do it unconsciously. Obviously, somebody comes in and delivers bad news to the boss with something the boss needs to know, and he uh, immediately takes their head off, well, guess what? That person's not going to come back to see him with bad news, and you've just sent a message to everybody in the organization that I'm the boss, and I don't like to hear bad news, and so you won't. And the consequences then are obviously going to be severe for your organization.
2: Well, thank you so much for your insights. The book is called Battle Tested. Gettysburg Leadership Lessons for the 21st Century Leaders by Jeff McCausland and Tom Vossler. It's an incredible book, and uh, and we thank you so much, Jeff, for taking the time to talk to us about it today.
3: My great pleasure,
1: guys. And thank you so much for the signed cards yes, that we, uh, we can <laughs> adhere to our copy, so we appreciate that. Thank you so much, Jeff McCausland, CBS News military analyst, a retired U.S. Army colonel, educator, Dickinson College and at the U.S. Army War College, and uh, a consultant, the uh, Diamond Six Group is his group, and author of that book
2: plus a previous one with a glimpse of leadership lessons uh, today. Sorry we didn't get more time with him. I'd like to have gotten his opinion a Pickett's Charge and a few other... Well, you can go down <laughs> to Gettysburg. It's to. an
1: open group, he said. Uh, this oh, okay. group was forming when we uh, made this appointment a couple of weeks ago. He said there's a couple of seats in the back row still oh, available really? okay. for the, the chit-chat and then the walk. So it's
2: not, Well, it's a rainy day for the walk.
1: Yeah, but it's not 95. I'll take light rain <laughs> <laughs> rather than 95 anytime at Gettysburg. All right, we'll take a quick break. We'd have time for a speedy dialer, one 800 Welcome back, WKOK Live Telephone Talk Show. On the mark, we got a caller lined up, so that'll probably fill us up. Uh, go ahead and make a note for during the 9 a.m. hour. 70236 is our text connect number, and you have to put the keyword OTM in there. You can email us at onthemark at WDKOK.com. Uh, Eric is on the line. Good morning, sir. Thanks for calling in. You are quite welcome. We're glad you're on the line. We're glad you listen. We're glad you call. Just begin with your good remarks. <laughs>
5: Oh, <laughs> uh, fantastic thank you, Dylan. Thank you. Uh, fantastic guest this morning. And, and Joe, I'm I'm gonna agree with you on something. I think history is so important. I'm a student of history myself. I've been to Gettysburg many times and um Grove School District actually sends their fifth graders down for right. a week of camp.
1: A week down to wow. Gettysburg.
5: And and they I tell you what, every kid who graduates from Grove has at least a knowledge of Gettysburg. I know so many kids who come to my youth group of other places, they just speak of what you know what interesting things they learned down there maybe it's okay i saw this gun or whatever but they have a sense and a grasp of american history which i think is so much glossed over with a lot of the curriculum we have you know focusing on whatever else
2: my grandson Uh, was in the fifth grade last year and they didn't get to go
5: because of the covid yeah yeah Uh, yeah, which they could somehow uh, but uh but many, many lessons, and I'm going to get that book definitely and, and read it. Uh, it's, it's fascinating stuff. And we had local boys who actually fought down there. I forget get the name of the regiment formed in Snyder County, which fought um, on the backside of the cemetery there. And, uh, and uh, they have their own marker and everything. Just so many lessons to learn. And, and one from a psychological perspective, which is where I come from, the individual soldiers were recruited from areas. So you, you signed up with your buddy, okay? So when it came to that time when they said attack, you would you would be more fearful of being labeled a coward and not attacking, rather than having your life taken. And I think that explains a lot. The thickest charge where those boys lined up and saw that open field and knew their chances of surviving were minimal, yet thousands of them just walked out with their buddies and were slaughtered. And, and you know it's uh, it's just the fascinating from. Men may perspective leadership, but also the individual and was going on in the individual's mind.
2: And Pickett never forgave Lee for issuing that order, even though he was exactly willing right. willing to do it.
5: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and interesting in the perspective after the war, how you know Lee was was almost uh, be, uh, um, made a, a god, deified, you know, and, and they really attacked Longstreet, and said Longstreet's the one who failed, and really he became the. Uh, you know the uh, the person that they, they tried to blame for everything. Lee was still way up there. You know, but. Well,
2: Longstreet and Sickles formed kind of an interesting alliance after the war, trying to promote each other's view of how it how everything went. <laughs>
5: That's well, a fascinating Sickles story. Was, uh, Sickles' was own perspective. Uh, I don't know if you guys knew this, but General Sickles was the very first person in the United States ever ever. Uh, the, got away with the uh, insanity plea and got off for a murder charge due to pleading
2: insanity. Right. Killing Francis Scott Key's son and he was defended by Edwin Stanton who went on to become Lincoln's Secretary of War.
5: There you go. All good Republicans, right?
2: Yep. Good Republicans. <laughs> Call back, Eric. Thanks, Thank you, you so much. Appreciate that. Uh,
1: appreciate Jeff McCauslin checking in. Uh, he's going to lead a group uh, at the Gettysburg Battlefield this morning, as you heard him discussing. This is WDK OK Sunbury.
0: Mark Lawrence and Joe McGranahan.
1: And welcome back to the KOK Live Telephone Talk Show. On the mark, I'm Mark Lawrence. Mr. Joe's across from me, Mr. Rob Sanders on the other side of the glass. On the mark is sponsored by the Sunbury Motor Company. Please go to sunburymotors.com and they'll help you out. They'll fix you up and they'll find a vehicle for you somewhere, somehow, some way. Our toll-free line is open. Call us 1-800-795-9565. That's 1-800-795-9565. Six-five, we can talk about today. We heard the remarks of Jeff McCausland and today's leadership. He used Enron as one example, but maybe there's local examples that you can think of and remark on, if you want to, of good leadership or, in the case of Enron, failed leadership. And so that is uh, something you could perhaps uh, extend. Uh, we have the Trump Organization, the financial chief financial officer, facing some charges today because the Trump Organization uh, over-benefit some individuals beyond the, what the tax laws permit, and, and there's dissension in the office of the vice president, and President Trump not charged in connection with that particular element. Uh, Joe has found a clipping that Kamala Harris's office has a toxic work environment, say some of the observers of that. So we can discuss that. Joe's got his Fox News clippings with him. This I got morning. my
2: funnels firmly in and place.
1: Gwen Berry, we talked about that. The uh, national runner. You're afraid that no, she's, she's a hammer thrower. S- s- Oh, okay, so you're afraid <laughs> that she is uh, funded by individuals who don't or do support defunding the police? So we can bring that topic up again. So, yeah, we got a couple of things on the table. We got two emails pending. We can read those 1 800 795 9565. And you can email us at on the market, or text us at 70236. Include the keyword OTM. Some brief news headlines all eyes on Florida as the investigation continues into what caused a building collapse. We talked to a structural engineer around here, Dave Zartman of Zartman Construction, who said he, too, is monitoring the investigation in Florida.
6: When you have a structural failure is when a member no longer can hold its load. And to me, it seems like the building was just that weakened, that bad from deterioration over time.
1: You can read more of his remarks about that investigation at WKOK.com. East Buffalo Township has earned a big win in Union County Court in its dispute over regional police funding with the borough of Lewisburg. County President Judge Michael Hudock ruled in favor of the township, saying they did properly interpret their intergovernmental agreement. He says the township didn't violate the contract when it unilaterally moved to adjust downward its municipal contribution to the Buffalo Valley Regional Police. Uh, court papers uh, say the borough lawsuit is now dismissed, but they have 30 days to appeal. Reaction coming in, most of it negative, to the Pennsylvania Supreme Court's decision overturning comedian Bill Cosby's sexual assault conviction. Our correspondent Mark Sims is following that.
7: Women's rights attorney Gloria Allred, who's represented many of Cosby's accusers, says despite the state Supreme Court ruling, she's not done pursuing justice for them.
8: And even though the court did overturn the conviction, it was on technical grounds. It did not vindicate Bill Cosby's conduct.
7: The Pennsylvania District Attorneys Association says it hopes the decision does not discourage future victims of sexual violence from coming forward. The Pennsylvania Coalition Against Rape says it's outraged, disheartened, frustrated, and hurt by the decision, but added it does not diminish the progress made during the hashtag MeToo movement. I'm Mark Sims. All
1: right. We have open phones. We would love to hear from you today. 1-800-795-9565, upper right-hand corner. and Just then be, Before clipping. you do
2: that, I, I think it was an interesting, th- th- this thing about Cosby. Mm-hmm. Apparently, a former prosecutor had promised him he wouldn't be charged if he testified in the civil suit against him, mm-hmm. which he did, mm-hmm. then another prosecutor who subsequently replaced that guy, he decided to charge him several years later, right before the statute of limitations ran out. I agree. I mean, C- Cosby hasn't been vindicated, but if the if the government can lie to you and promise you one thing and then someone else isn't obligated to carry through that promise, why would anybody ever come forward or testify again if they were promised immunity? And what would have remedied that? So We
1: certainly have many people in civil cases that speak openly and that testimony either remains private or doesn't lead to criminal charges against them, what could have fixed this back in the day?
2: Well, they, they could have charged him, been more concerned about the criminal charges, which they admit, the prosecutor at the time said they would have been hard to prove, just based on more or less a he said, she said, with maybe a little few more facts thrown in, and it might have been hard for them to convict, but in a civil matter, the the level of proof is much lower, and so they they focused on getting the woman some justice in uh, a civil suit, which apparently she she did get. Mm-hmm. Millions of dollars, it was the settlement. So,
1: what? If the prosecutor had said in that particular case, okay, I'm not going to charge you now, or I'm personally not going to charge you, what if they had worded it in the promise in such a way that
2: it would open
1: the door later? Is that
2: feasible? Well, I would think that that Cosby's attorneys would have not stood for that. They would have insisted that the, the promise be ironclad, which apparently it was, but it took years to go through the court, so the man spent two years in jail. Admittedly, if he did the things he was accused of, that's not enough of a punishment. But another, in, in another aspect of it, he did what he was told to do, and he did it in return for what he told what he was happen. told would happen. So. I mean, it's like if I say to you, Mark, if you uh, shine my shoes, I'll give you a dollar. You shine my shoes, and I don't give you the dollar, mm-hmm. so
1: <laughs> you're out. Right. More of a long-term contract for shoe shining every week, and then eventually, well, you it's stop like paying. my contract
2: where I have to say you're strikingly handsome every month. Mm-hmm. What if I fail to do that? Well, you've agreed to it. <laughs> I know, <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, I, having agreed to it, it's my obligation to do it. Well, and you have. It, it's it's a. Uh, you take great joy in doing it, too. That's what I've noticed. Not really. No, I didn't think so. Okay. All, <laughs> All right, right. You one, want me to read this thing on the top? Yep. All please. right. From Tom, Kushner Companies owns 20,000 rental units with 9,000 of those in Maryland and 6,000 of those in Baltimore. The Donald called Baltimore a poorly run slum. Interestingly, Kushner's properties were in violation of codes and were fined. Good story online by the Baltimore Sun from 2017. Al should read it and get some tips on his heroes. Signed Dumb. All right, one eight hundred seven nine five nine five six five is our
1: telephone number. Uh, Stan, you're on the mark. Thanks for waiting a little bit. Go right ahead.
9: <laughs> yeah, the, the toxic environment that Kamala Harris runs in her office. It's you know they were all over Trump saying that he lost so many people over the years because of chaos in the administration. Well, what I read, she had twenty-two. She's had twenty-two people quit in five months. Working for her, in her
2: office. Oh, but that's not a media story, Stan, because she's not a Republican. Is <laughs> right. that what's
1: what's the normal number of people that, that, who are working in the White House when the president switches? No, in. Yeah, oh, these, these are her people. These are her people. Oh, these were new, new hires on January 20th, and then well, they, since they, I, I don't know
2: there, whether they I were new go. hires, but they were staffers of hers. She was right. a senator too. Remember, before she became vice president, so she had a staff. Okay, and the people that she brought along, some of them have left. And in- and why does this bother you so much, Stan?
9: Oh, it doesn't. It's just a hypocrisy of the you know the news media. They won't report this, and you know you won't see this all over CNN and MSNBC because you know it doesn't fit their narrative. But obviously, there's some chaos in the Kamala Harris office there. Well, somebody Who knows must what's be going reporting in, in, in the Biden offices.
1: Somebody must you be haven't reporting heard on about it. That yet. Fox. Oh, Okay. Well, then
2: <laughs> it is being reported on. But not the mainstream uh, media. So Fox isn't mainstream anymore. Okay. Well, I don't know. I consider the mainstream apparently, right. but they don't consider themselves that. They like to think of themselves as outsiders. I guess. <laughs> Ultra conservative <laughs> outsiders. Go ahead, Stan. But you know, Dan, well, forgive me. But the other thing is, there was news this morning. I was watching MSNBC. They were all over the fact that Donald Trump's organization is may be charged, and there we're, we're going to be following this developing story. But nowhere did they cover the fact that he was down at the border and what what he saw there and the people he met with with the governor of Texas, Governor Abbott, and the talking about how they what they might do to stop this border infiltration. Nobody's reported on that but Fox.
9: Well, yeah, because that also doesn't fit the fit the narrative, you know. Because then they would have to actually admit that there's a problem at the border, and and the news media hasn't been, you know, harping on the problem at the border when the drugs and the, and the illegals coming in at hundreds of thousands a month. You now that's a problem for this country, and then they just let them out into the out into the countryside with with reporting dates, supposedly. But how many of them actually report for their trial dates or their hearing dates or whatever they're called? You know, they're put out into the communities, and the communities have to pick up the tab for everything that's going on, yep. along with the ta- the money that they've been given by, you know, the, the U.S. government and the, and, the, and the bus tickets and the plane tickets to send them out into the, you know, the, the ether of the United States. You know, the whole thing's a mess.
2: True, true enough, true enough.
1: So, so
9: I, I don't know what's going to happen.
2: Mark's remaining silent.
9: Oh, over I'm there. trying to He's see how properly far down.
1: chastised. No, no, I'm trying to <laughs> see how far down President Trump's at the southern border is on the CBS news feed now, and I don't think it's on the feed anymore. It was there earlier this morning, and now I
2: think it got pushed off
1: by the uh, the news story. By a tiddlywing
2: morning. championship in Algeria. <laughs>
1: well, yeah, the, the top story. You'll be shocked to hear that the top story is President Biden promises federal aid to victims of the heat wave, and then the Trump organization, and then Bill Cosby, and then the Florida How do you Indian. give
2: federal aid to people who are in a heat wave? I'm curious. I'd like to know what <laughs> money we're going to throw at that. Buy uh, everybody yeah, an air conditioner? All those little paper fans they made, that adds up, baby. <laughs>
9: uh, he, 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 you know, Biden just throws money around like it grows on trees, and I, if, he, if he knows where that tree is, I'd really like, like one of them so I could plant it in my yard. Well, overspending is, a,
1: one overspending is a Washington issue. I can hardly wait until it gets Every cold president. this winter,
2: and then he'll be promising. I promise federal aid to those people <laughs> who are cold. All right. We'll give you the last word, Stan. Go right ahead.
9: Well, you know, uh, last word, Bill Cosby. You know, prosecutorial misconduct needs to be uh, reined in in this country. There's a lot of it going on, and I think some of it's up in New York, too. But time will tell what actually happens with all that stuff going on so that's Good all point. I got to say you know Cosby's a free man for right now well I guess for forever I don't know can they re- re-prosecute him on anything not the case that they put him in jail or no whatever. it
2: it, 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 it at prejudice attached he can't be retried on this
9: Yes. Yeah, so you know prosecutorial misconduct you know everybody, well, everybody knows he's guilty of it because he admitted to it so but he can't he won't be spending any more time in prison which is probably where he should be you know where, where where's the justice at there
1: it's missing. Well, yeah, they okay. have to get it in civil court. Yeah, but a, you
2: know who are you going to blame? Tragedy. I mean, the the obviously, I think the victim and the, uh, the what's her name, Chardo. I'm trying to remember her last name. I'm pretty yeah, sure it's Chardo. She had, I think she had to agree to Constand this. stand is the woman in Constand, this, I'm sorry, right, you're right, Constant. She had to agree, I would think, to um, you know the deal that they made with him in order to get him to testify against himself, in effect, in the civil trial. So um, she must have had some part in that decision, had to have.
9: I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, that's one thing I've never been in, involved in is a court case against me or against someone else. So, and quite frankly, I just shouldn't keep it that way. <laughs> but, you know, I just, so, you know, that there, yeah, the victim, in my opinion, should have something to say about that. But why was the prosecution, prosecutor involved in a civil case to start with?
1: Wait till the Justice Department finds well, out about that's a good point.
2: You. That's a good
9: point.
1: Wait until our Democratic president's uh, Justice Department finds out about you, Stan. <laughs> There's going to be Well, paper- you know,
9: they are modern. Everybody's doing essays, their emails, and everything else. So who knows what will happen in the future.
1: Yep,
6: they you know, know all or, you know, about you.
9: I, I, am a, I am a merchant of death, according to Mr. Garland and Biden. You know, I, I, I do move guns through here, although I do do it legally with background checks. <laughs> but I am still a merchant of death, according to them.
2: I like that. Just, Stan, just put that merchant out there. of death. <laughs> <laughs> okay. He's one of our favorite callers. You you sound very imposing with that title added to your name. (laughs) You put that on your business card. Uh, Stan. No,
9: I'll pass on that.
2: uh, On a tombstone, it would be great. Stan. Here lies Stan, merchant of death. Gunsmith. Merchant of death.
1: Uh, What else? Conservative. And you're a union dog, too, right? No, not by choice. No. Okay. Right. Okay. <laughs> not by choice. <laughs> no, but but by membership, yes, right. So. Yeah, I'm membership, yes.
5: Choice, no. But you
1: should put no that on there. No
9: matter, they took that away from us the last contract. So.
1: <laughs> well, they're taking good care of you, whether you like it or not. They're just charging you. <laughs> yeah. <that's
5: all>. Okay.
2: <laughs> Thanks, Dan. Appreciate
1: your <laughs> yeah, call. All right. Have a good one. Take care. Yeah, all right. Now, this is a forty-eight hour old
2: email, but we'll read it. It mentions uh, Stan's name. Okay. Oh, there we yes. go. When Stan was on, mark to Stan, what would you do? Chris is on, mark to Chris, what would you do? Joe comment, you are asking the wrong person. As a longtime registered independent and a veteran, asking Stan for his opinion is the, for the most part a worthless thing to do. Heck, here's a guy that refuses to get the vaccine. Now to me, that is un American. Oh, I forgot. Both Stan and Ben in their minds know more about medicine as medical professionals. You know that persons that you know that persons that attended med schools. Signed by Dick. I think he meant something else here at the end. I didn't quite get the sense of it. Did you? No. Okay. But it
1: mentioned Stan, and Stan was on the line, so now Stan okay. can use his minute if he so chooses. <laughs> All right, 1-800-795-9565. We'll take a quickie break. When we come back, we can again do more remarks about Jeff McCauslin and his words about uh, modern-day leadership. Of Some folks today might have understood and have gained from the leadership lessons of uh, Gettysburg and or the discretion and or the failures of uh, Gettysburg, so we can chit-chat about that. Talked about Kamala Harris's office in some sort of a disarray, toxic work environment, says Fox News. So if they said it, it must be true. And so we can discuss uh, that. Uh, we had Gwen Berry in the news earlier this week, turned her back on the Star-Spangled Banner. Maybe you have an opinion about that. Really didn't explore that. to see what our audience thought about this, this idea of, uh, uh, well, you're not, I don't believe she was in the U.S. at the time, but exercising her free speech in such a manner uh, that other folks uh, find it uh, disturbing or just uh, un-American. Uh, of course, we yeah, had. She
2: was s- in the country when she did that. Oh, she was, it was in an the American US. championship. Uh, was it. Okay, I wasn't sure where those it was for trials were. The Olympic were held. Tri- uh, for to make the Olympic team for the U.S. Okay, great. Thank you. Yeah, and where were they held? Not exactly certain, but it was the hammer throwing event, and the first and second place finishers stood with their hands over their hearts. Okay, one 9565
1: is our telephone number. If you wish to weigh in on that topic, you can email us at onthemarket@kok.com. Text us at seven zero two three six include the keyword OTM.
4: i yes.
1: Welcome back to the KOK Live Telephone Talk Show. On the mark, one 800 we are 100% open right now. Actually, we don't have anybody waiting on hold at the moment, so call us now, 1-800-795-9565. I crashed the text machine by clicking two buttons at the same time, so I'm trying to get that back up again as soon as I get that working. Uh, you can text us at 70236 with the keyword OTM, and that'll work. And let's see, emails on the mark at WKOK.com. I mentioned in the news, uh, uh, briefly, uh, that Spotlight PA story is the one we're using. Democratic Governor Tom Wolf vetoed the Republican rewrite of Pennsylvania's Election Code Wednesday, making clear his party's opposition to a stricter voter ID requirement and setting up a potential showdown on the issue at the ballot box. Of course, Republicans have said they're going to use a constitutional amendment to try to get this uh, through. And uh, we have, uh, in addition to requiring voters to show ID during every Every election, the bill would have created uh, more early voting, instituted new security rules for drop boxes, and allowed voters to fix mail ballots with missing signatures. This was that one thing where... if you remember, some counties were helping people fix their mail-in ballots and other counties were not, he measures, while expanding access. Uh, Wolf said, see, it would have allowed you to go a week ahead of time and vote in person, which I think is a, is a, was a good idea. I would have liked to see that.
2: Well, I, I, I think that it's um, a good idea to put it on the ballot, let the people decide, since apparently politically we can't come to some sort of conclusion about what makes sense and what doesn't make sense. I personally think requiring ID makes a great deal of sense. So let's put it on the ballot, let the people decide. Right, and that's what's going to happen. Well, it has to pass two times in two different legislatures. Right, that effort is what's what's
1: going to happen. Well, I would imagine the voters
2: will approve it. Uh, I think uh, it was at the Franklin Marshall
1: poll said it was 80% of the state's...
2: Most people favor it. Why the governor considers it to be voter suppression is beyond me, and why Democrats consider ID to be voter suppression is beyond me. Well, if only we haven't covered this about 27 times earlier,
1: (laughs) so I won't get into it. Uh, We do have a caller standing by. Go right ahead. You are on the mark.
9: Yeah, uh, Dick wrote that email in there Claims I claim to be a doctor I don't think I've ever claimed to be any type of medical expert Just the I just opposite know my, my body, my choice As far as the you know, the vaccine goes And those people like Dick Consider my body, my choice A good thing when women want to kill babies in the womb It's not their body That's true
2: yep, That's true, it's your body, your choice I think you made the wrong one, but that's just me personally, because I got it. Well, but I had a reason. Right. I had a reason. I wanted to see my grandchildren. <laughs>
9: right. And I, I see everybody I want to see now. Just okay. Just, you know, yeah, you know. You don't just, want to see know. my
2: grandchildren? What's wrong with you?
9: Well, I don't have any, so, you know, that ain't going to happen.
2: <laughs> yeah, but what about
1: customers who comes to Stan's Gunsmith and Death Merchant Shop?
9: Oh, <laughs> ah, well, they're, they're, they're just fine with it. I mean, okay. they all... You know, some have gotten it, some haven't. They're they're just fine with you know things the way they are.
1: Well you're leaving a wake so, of death behind you, I can tell you. <laughs> yeah, Stan, you know, I think we could say thing, Stan's yeah. gonna get but you but one way or barns. the other.
2: <laughs> what? Yeah. 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 I said Stan's gonna get you one way or the other. <laughs> <laughs>
9: But as far as claiming to be a, a medical expert, never. Yep. Never in my life. Never no. did. okay. All
2: right.
1: Thank you N- so never much. never
9: happened. You know, and I don't believe Ben ever has either. Just, just f- listening to what I've heard for, in uh, you know, in the uh, past. So,
1: no. Just saying. All right. Thank so, you so much, Dan. It sounds good, though. Like Dr. Reikley sounds good. It sounds like a medical person. Well, there probably are a couple of those. 1-800-795-9565. Uh, Dan, thank you for calling in. You're on the mark.
10: Hey, good morning, guys. You know the mainstream media and the Democrat Party, some reply saying, get the jab, get the jab. In fact, most every radio station, TV outlet, get the jab, it's your patriotic duty. And I only know of one radio station that doesn't do that, an oldie station, I won't mention where it's at. But here's the thing, they never search out the other side of the issue. There's epidemiologists out there that say that you're doing more harm to yourself by getting a jab than not. And you don't know what the future will bring if you take that jab. You may end up, if you get that, if you get another strain, you may end up being worse off by getting that jab. And I'll give you... A a doctor you can look up, you can get her right on the line, is Dr. Sherry Tenpenny out of Cleveland, Ohio. She's been studying this SARS strain for many, many years, and she knows more about it than a lot of the so-called experts like Fauci you hear all the time telling people what to do.
1: Well, she's so a
10: I quack. D- 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 yeah, in your book, <laughs> anybody that disagrees with your narrative, they're a quack.
1: No, she's officially a quack. Yeah, <laughs> it's not just yeah, my opinion. I,
3: I, yeah, just, you
10: don't, because you don't want to hear that, you don't want to hear the truth, you'll call her a quack. And she's an expert in epidemiology, more so than your famous Dr. Fauci, but uh, no, you don't want to hear that and she's not the only one by the way, but I, I gave her name out because I heard her speak a couple times on this so-called pandemic. I call it the planned pandemic and you know why they planned it that way. why But the first reason to get Trump out of office, to scare people now and also as a way to prove that people would obey their government, that they would do what their government said no matter if it's true or not. A great experiment. And next time, what will they do to control your life? It's a socialist experiment of it. To be able to call a vaccine, it's not injecting, like for, like for a smallpox, they use actual pox, cowpox, to get so you don't get the chickenpox. This is a gene manipulation.
1: But what about Johnson and Johnson? DNA
10: and- to the RNA factor. This is manipulating genes. Something that. It's never been done. It's not proven that it'll even work.
1: Oh, it's been done many, many times. They're enjoying science that's been known for decades and certainly are much better at it now. But what about Johnson & Johnson and AstraZeneca? Those uh, are the traditional vaccines that you're more used to what's wrong with them then if you don't like the ones that use the md uh, mRNA, which that, that's fine since you don't understand it that you don't want to do something that you're afraid of that makes perfect sense what about johnson and johnson that's the more traditional kind that's based on replicating yes uh, what they i think they use a fragment of the shell of a of the existing virus well
10: you know the thing is what what you people don't like to say is even if the six hundred thousand people if say six hundred thousand did die and I don't believe that figure for a minute because they were chalking everything up under COVID nineteen for everything they could put under don't no matter which cost your debt.
1: Okay, so that's or even the you know the
10: contributing factor might have been.
1: All right, so you COVID don't know anything night. about the Johnson and Johnson yet. What about this guy? Listen to this guy. Now he he is one of the smartest men in the world. Listen to him.
6: I would recommend it and I would recommend it to a lot of people that don't want to get it and a lot of those people voted for me frankly, but you know, I again, we have our freedoms and we have to uh, live by that and I agree with that also. But it's a great vaccine, it's a safe
10: vaccine, and it's uh, something that works.
1: Now you deify President Trump, and here he is saying, get get the jab.
10: He's allowed to be wrong. He's allowed to be wrong. Is that the first time? So
2: he's, let me get this straight. He's right when you agree with him, and he's wrong when you don't. I got it now. He doesn't lie. I go
10: by the evidence. Joe. Okay. Well, what do you think President Trump? Wife, what, what do you think force President force Trump's going by? Throat.
2: Okay, what's President Trump going by if it's not the evidence? Is he just want to force it down your throat?
10: No, he's saying what he believes.
2: He's he going with go the evidence isn't
10: he? if he wants to that's his business
2: don't you think he's going with the evidence or you think he's not? you think he's ignoring the evidence that he wants to hurt people?
10: He might not know he might not know every he don't know every, everything about it neither do I. I have to go by the evidence that I have to go by the evidence and and make my decision the right. decision I made and I explained to Mark on friday i already had COVID 19. why mm-hmm. would i want to duplicate the problem by getting a shot on top of that that i already had it mm-hmm. if i have the immunization right immunization on it why would i want to immunity immunity in, <laughs> that's the injury word. to insult
1: all right that's, we got gotcha. you it's
10: foolish they never tell you about it's insulting people that had it they just tell you Go get the jab. Get the jab.
2: Okay, well, I'm, I'm roughly your age. I got it. I've well, had ben, no ill effects. Yeah, not ben, at all. Ben Reikley had the disease and <laughs> got the vaccine both.
1: It's <laughs> <laughs> right. your
10: decision. I wouldn't right. tell you not to get it. If, you, if oh, that's you, fair enough. If your evidence tells you, hey, I'd better get it, you go get it. But mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have got it. Don't get me wrong. I wouldn't have got it even if I wouldn't have had COVID-19. That
1: just works I wouldn't out. I okay. get
10: the jab.
1: Thank and you, Dan.
10: People aren't dying like <laughs> flies from it. In other words, if their figure's right, 99.7 or 8% of the United States live.
1: Well, I think it's even greater than it's that. Yeah, most people don't die from but COVID. You, but you, no but you don't
2: believe there. the number of people that died. You don't believe that's accurate. You've said not earlier
10: necessarily not from evidence. I heard from nurses at hospitals that were told to chalk things up to COVID nineteen, even though it was a heart attack, and one was cancer. They were told they were supposed to write it up under COVID nineteen <laughs> to. In other words, whatever benefit that was to the hospital or whatever, it made the, it did inflate the numbers that, of COVID-19. And it's strange that last in 2020, no people died from other flus that was all COVID-19.
2: Right. All
1: right,
10: that's we got a you.
2: Gotta move on. Thanks, yep. Dan. Appreciate yep. your call. Thank yep, you. Always. Have a great. Have great a good Fourth of July. Then. Take care.
1: All right. Thank you. Have Bye. a great Bye. week. We'll talk to you in ten days. All right. One 1-800-795-9565, Talking about the vaccine and getting the vaccinations of one of the COVID nineteen vaccines out there, and the lies hospitals were telling has been reported uh, because of trying to chalk things up to COVID-19. Maybe there's some advantage to that. Who knows? Uh, We also had Jeff McCausland on earlier and talked about the leadership lessons of Gettysburg. You can't help but be a better leader after reading this book. It is very interesting. I found it fascinating, and I'm not even a Terribly strong history buff. I think Gettysburg is interesting, but I don't study any other Civil War battles. So you fields. just study the Battle of Gettysburg. Right. Well, it's a good one to learn from. Right. Amen. All right. So we'll take more comers. one 800 795 And Joe's shaking his head no. one 800 Welcome back to WKOK Live Telephone Talk Show. On the mark, one 800 we got two callers waiting, so we'll be picking up the line very shortly. You can email us at on the mark at wkok.com and text us at 70236. Include the keyword OTM. Al, you are on the mark. Thank you for calling in. Go right ahead.
7: Yeah, there was a, there was a sad, uh, thank you, and there was a sad story on Fox where they showed a little boy standing by the guardrail Years old, he looked pretty skinny himself, but he was standing upon a pile around a pile of trash, was all around him. And uh, he was abandoned, it was night, and that's where the uh, border guards found him.
1: This is the U.S. Mexico border you're talking about,
7: yeah. And then also in the same county, they showed a person getting carried away in a body bag. It died of dehydration, and then they said there was about uh, sixty bodies found so far in that in that Rio Grande Valley of people that didn't make it. And, and this is uh,
1: this whole situation and this at the bottom line is not being resolved, correct? I mean, we certainly hear some words about this or that, but no resolution at the southern border, correct?
7: Right. And also the kids that they have in those containers, are on suicide watch and some of them already committed suicide they had to take all the sharp objects or anything away from them and there's severe depression people want to the little uh, people in those containers want to kill themselves because the situation is so bad and it's so hot
1: all right, so we're uh, very, very far from resolution on the border. Well, this is going to be President Biden's Waterloo. uh, water, uh I, I don't know that. I, I think you can focus attention on other national issues all you want, but unless you do something about a, an obvious crisis. Funny, he's talking about the people suffering in... Um, Uh, From heat, Pacific Northwest, which is terrible. There's no argument there. I mean, there's no relief. A lot of people just going out to their vehicles. They say just to get cool and to sleep in their vehicles because they have air conditioning. But uh, we're
7: sending them money, so everything will be okay.
1: But uh, (laughs) yeah, not but not fixing this is uh, creating a twenty times worse hardship. I think. Well, no,
7: and then there's sex trafficking, child trafficking. Uh, They're helping the cartel. Biden might as well be helping the cartel himself and the drugs, it's just a terrible situation. And then we have another one where uh, we have political prisoners in Washington in solitary confinement from the riot on January 6th that didn't even get the trial yet. There's 30 people in people uh, that I consider political prisoners.
2: Just so you know, Al, I um, tried to look that up when you claimed that kids had committed suicide at the border. Six, it says that six, and this is from BBC America, six kids have died in U.S. custody uh, in the past uh, past year. It doesn't say any of them were suicide victims. It just said that they were their deaths are being investigated. Well,
7: that's, you know, part of the story. they are... There's uh there's a lot of problems down there and
2: no, no you can't argument deny there it,
7: even if you, you know it just makes common sense that if you put a kid in a container in the hot area they're not going to be a very happy person and there's 20,000 of them
2: yeah it would have been helpful if Kamala had actually gone there to the Rio Grande Valley instead of El Paso she might have might have come away with a different view well
7: Yes, it's it's like a a lot of stuff is just going crazy, uh, and it seems kind
1: of evil to me well, and you'll be happy to know that this is starting to hurt President Biden's uh, approval ratings, particularly among suburban voters who uh, were very p- felt like very that. compelled to try to get President Trump out of there, and, and so they voted in his favor. But a lot of them are Republicans and say they'll go back to supporting Republicans as soon as uh, Biden's done.
7: Well, President Trump was on uh, a town meeting last night on the Hannity uh, down in Texas because he spent the whole day down there, not just a couple hours. Um, and he was talking with the governor. And, you know, they both wanted him just to keep things the way they were. And they were on the right path. And they said two more months, the wall would have been done. And then it would have got painted black. Um, to keep it hot enough that people can't climb over, and everything was under control and then President Trump said a funny he said, Well, if he would have just went to what's the beach in Delaware uh, or mm-hmm. yeah,
0: he
7: the beach, everything would have been fine.
1: Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right, Al, we got you. Thank you so much for calling in. Thank Appreciate you, Al. the yep. call. 1-800-795-9565. Al and I in full agreement that uh, we're missing an opportunity to fix a real crisis there. Hey, I want to talk to you about the Sunbury Motor Company. Uh, they are selling Fords. they got a few down there, and Hyundais, and Kias, and they're on the North 4th Street Shopping Plaza, and Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. I'm looking at the new book that talks about the Ford F-150, and it doesn't have the lightning in it yet. That's the electric one that's going to be out in. The weeks and months ahead, but you can tow like a pro, you can carry a lot of weight in an F 150, you got generator power built right in, uh, you can tough it through. They got five big motors. I, I personally will not be getting the uh, four liter turbo diesel one i'm just going to get the normal eco boost probably a three liter eco boost but this is going to give me plenty of power for what i got to do i'm just hauling a truck full of garden waste and malts and and dead animals Mm -hmm. and that kind of thing but uh, everybody else can haul everything else they need to i see a lot of atvs and four wheelers in the back of ford trucks and they fit perfectly aluminum bed uh, reduces the weight so you know if gasoline mileage is your only uh Uh, interest. 26 miles to the gallon is the highway mileage on either the EcoBoost gasoline motor or or the PowerBoost uh, full hybrid. So 26 miles to the gallon on the highway, which means if you're a little easier on the uh, gas, you can of course easily get that into the 30s on the highway. You get 27 miles per gallon with the turbo diesel, so you got choices there if mileage and saving money at the gas pump is your choice. But all of these wonderful searches and your saving money starts at at the Sunbury Motor Company. Financial Friday is tomorrow. Bob Garrett of the Greater Susquehanna Valley Chamber of Commerce. So I'm happy invited to be here in person, along with Art Thomas of MEC. Tech and the chair of the chamber. So we'll be talking about the latest jobless numbers. They've been really trying to come up with creative ways to address and reduce the worker shortage around here. So we'll get an update on that. Of course, the local jobless numbers so will be out at that time. All right. Speedy dialers one eight hundred seven nine five nine five six five. Speak now or forever hold your peace. If you don't get on now, you don't get on the show for 10 days as uh, Joe takes a, a very well deserved vacation next week and we'll enjoy some best of programs uh, next Next week, so we got two callers ready. Van is uh, waiting patiently, or perhaps impatiently, but nonetheless, he's waiting. And our next caller is lined up too. So, Van, you're on the mark. Go right ahead. And thank you for waiting and waiting and waiting. Must seem like a million words to get to you.
6: Oh, I'm just enjoying the nice, cool weather. How about it? <laughs> hey, are you guys aware that Australia has had more people die from the vaccine than from the actual virus?
1: No. I <laughs> no. Tell us say about that. that. I am. <laughs> Well, that's,
6: that's the truth, and that's, that's just the fact. That I'm sure you can find someplace to fact check it. They'll probably say it's wrong. But as far as the deaths here in America, and I don't know if you're aware of this, but every death that was chalked up to COVID-19, the average person had four comorbidities. So it, they may have been overweight, have diabetes, have the flu, have heart problems, whatever, but that's the average so maybe someone had one comorbidity maybe they were just overweight or someone may have had seven you know so there's a lot of underlying problems but always it was chalked up to covid-19 as being responsible for their death
1: well, that should be illegal. That's got to be investigated. And there's more than just a little evidence of that, uh, Van. I know you're you're reporting on things that you're reading on, but uh, Dan has mentioned that he's talked to individuals in hospitals around here, and there's more than just a little evidence of that.
6: Well, I, I know people that work in hospitals in the area and quite a distance away from here that are telling me the same thing. And I have one guy I keep in contact with quite a bit, and he works in a hospital down around Harrisburg, and he's told me repeatedly that every week he's seeing people in the hospital that had reactions to the vaccines. Now, thank God neither of you guys have, but there's plenty of people that have had reactions. And I've, I read over in Great Britain, which the AstraZeneca shot they're using over there, they've had four pilots from the British airlines died from the vaccine. And they're warning also, that people don't fly that have gotten the shot because of blood clotting. So there is blood clots are an issue with these things. Also, with the young people, now they're pushing to have vaccinated. We're seeing, and that is that is undoubtedly a fact now that they're actually reporting this. And I heard this, oh my goodness, six, seven months ago. And now just really in the last maybe month, they've reported about the uh, myocarditis the swelling of the heart and some of the young people i had heard of a 13 year old boy that actually had a heart attack after he received his vaccination shot
2: well and interestingly i looked up what you said and it says uh, this is from abc news says a claim falsely suggesting that 210 Australians have died due to COVID-19 vaccines continues to circulate on social media despite efforts from the federal medicines regulator in Australia to stop its spread. ABC Fact Check examines the claim, a version of which was promoted in radio ads by businessman and politician Clive Palmer, earning him a rebuke from the Therapeutic Goods Administration. Says a radio... Well,
6: Clyde, Clyde Palmer had sent a mailer out to everyone in Australia. He's a very rich man, obviously, but he sent out a mailer to them, informing people not to get the vaccine because of the the problems they're having with it.
1: Then we have one more caller, so I'll give you thirty more seconds. Go right okay. ahead. Yeah,
2: I'm sorry.
6: But but to me, it's the, the thing about pushing for this shot. You know, it's like the people that have had COVID, like Dan said he had COVID. I had COVID. I'm sure I have immunity to it. So, why should I be subjected to putting a shot in my arm?
1: All right, we got you. All
2: right, well, thank Good you so point. much. Good point if you yeah. had it. I, I agree with it. Appreciate it. probably isn't necessary. Thank you. Well, I'm man. sure your
1: fact checker, Joe, is wrong. Van accurately predicted that you'd
2: come up with facts that well, would Well, no, you just, just wanted to put the other side of the story out there. <laughs> well, that's not what this show's for. Okay. Cindy, you get 60 seconds.
8: I just wanted to. The other day, you were discussing this woman who turned her back on the uh, American flag and the national anthem in Olympic trials. Right. And I've been reflecting on her behavior, and I'm wondering why is the Olympics tied to countries anyway? Why does it have this national bent? Why can't it just be that people who are qualified can participate, regardless of their nation? I know some athletes. Um, while they may be a citizen, for example, the United States, compete on behalf of other places, and, and then they have the issue that place interestingly, like American Samoa, which is a territory of the United States, and those people enjoy free uh, capacity to come and go from our country and all the privileges of the United States, well, they're considered a separate country. It seems to, to me like we, that the Olympic Committee should rethink whether or not this should be tied to your nation or not.
2: All right. Noted. Thank Thank you you so much. But it is tied, and she was trying to represent the country, the country that she doesn't even want to hear the national anthem of. Well,
1: you know, it's like burning the flag or... What, what else do people do that other people find offensive or abhorrent? Once you give free po- people free speech, you're not ever always going to like what they tell you. Love it or leave it, baby. Thank you so <laughs> much for putting in all these months. Oh yeah, Enjoy your week off. We'll be back in a week. We'll be back tomorrow with Financial no. Friday. This is WDK, OK, Sunbury.